All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee, an official welcome. It's great to have you here on this Memorial Day weekend. So I recalled, oh my gosh, I recalled that this weekend, uh, 14 years ago, 14 years ago, was the first haircut of my oldest son, Nassen. I know some of you know Nassen. So uh, there's a custom to give a boy their first haircut on their on or around their third birthday. So that year, his, his haircut was Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. So I was thinking, probably yesterday, like, wow, 14 years. Man, oh man. Anyway, remind me after the class, I'll show you the most epic picture of the dude looking at his ponytail, which had just been cut in front of his eyes. Well, I mean, it was behind his head, obviously, but like showing it to me is like, what? Anyway. All right, so folks, this is Kabbalah and Coffee. We have a lot to talk about. And I want to mention off the bat that Kabbalah and Coffee is sponsored by Ed Zinn in loving memory of his mother, Arden Zinn. Um, you might know the name Arden from Arden's Garden, and you are correct. That is the Arden of Arden's Garden. She was a tremendous person who did so many things in the community and uh, lived just a, a really special life. So... The series has been dedicated lovingly in loving memory and lovingly by, his, by her son, Ed, who is a good friend and a participant of, uh, of Intan Jewish Academy. All right, so let's jump now into the topic today. So let's say you come into a new home. Let's say you buy a home or you're renting a home, whatever it is. And you notice as, I know it just got cold, um, but let's say you notice, let's, let's use the winter as an example. Let's say you pick up the home kind of in the, in the fall and things, you know, the weather is, is kind of nice. In Atlanta, there's, you know, a few weeks where it's like really perfect. I'm not complaining, by the way. Atlanta's great relative to lots of places. Um, I haven't shoveled in years. So imagine you, ha you have your first winter in the house and you notice that for some reason you have the heat turned on, but your house is cold. And you're wondering, like, what's going on? Why is the house... Hey, Marnie, good to see you. You're wondering, why is... And let me also welcome Mariana. Mariana, welcome. Good to have you here. So imagine... Thank you, thank you. Of course, of course. So imagine you notice the house is cold. You're trying to figure out, like, what's, what's going on with the house? And you walk by the windows and you realize, ah, it's drafty. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever been in a, window, in a, in a house with drafty windows. Yes? Yeah, it's, I think, mo I think many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, have been there at some point in time. And, and it's, you know, you have the heat on, but it's still cold. And you think to yourself, wow, this is really inefficient because I'm pumping heat into my house. And meanwhile, either the heat is going out or the cold is coming in. It's like, you know, can't, can't keep this place hot. So we might call that, in practical terms, an energy leak. And you, you might see where I'm going with this, but let's first use some pragmatic or some, you know, utilitarian examples. We might call that an energy leak where you're expending a lot of energy, both, you know, I mean, the heating system, you're expending a lot of money, you know, theoretically, to heat a space. But it's not, it's not being contained because there's a leak. 
it's going out or something else is coming in, right? So either what you want is leaving or what you don't want, the heat is, is leaving, or what you don't want, which is the cold, is coming in. Either way, there's a leak. That's not good. Of course, the most classic pragmatic example of a leak would be perhaps, I mean, one of the classic examples would be a tire, right? You're driving, not you, someone's driving down the road, right? And they notice low tire, and the next thing you know, you got to pull over and, uh, and, and get that taken care of. So it's important in life that what we want in the places that we want are staying there and not leaking. So whether it's with heating or, with its, or, or, if, or whether it's with air conditioning, you know, you want to cool off your space, but your air conditioning is going out the front door, which is open, or going out the drafty windows, or the heat is coming in. Either way, you're not being efficient with your energy because it's going to places that you don't want. Now, let's, let's even go back a step. Before we notice that the windows are drafty, you ever put... Um, out of curiosity, you ever see the, the plastic? You, you put plastic over the windows to kind of seal the windows. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where you seal the windows? This was like a part of my reality for a long time. Sealing windows for the, yes, sealing windows for the winter, a whole thing. Okay, back to our story. Imagine now, again, taking a step back, but still dealing with the HVAC. So imagine you're putting in... Uh, Central air. Does anyone still call it central air? Maybe. Central air in, um, in a house, in a home for the first time. So you put in the unit. It does heating. It does cooling. It's magic. And then you need to do the duct work, right? You need to put the, um, let's say it's a forced air system. Sorry for getting so technical. If I'm getting technical, I don't know if I am. But anyway, so you put like, what is it? I, I don't know what material it is. Like those silver, you know what I'm talking about? Like the tubing situation? Yeah. And it goes and it whoosh, takes the the heat or the or the AC to the duct that is intended. It usually sends it out a few different directions, like this octopus of, uh, of 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 heating and cooling, and it ends up you know blowing out the the hot or cold air in the location that you desire. Imagine if there's a hole in that in that um, in that duct work. You're not going to get the, the heat or the cooling because, again, there's a leak. Instead of, the, instead of the system pumping the energy to the location that you want, it's now leaking somewhere else that you don't want. One more example. I saw recently, don't remember where, one of the news websites that in the United Kingdom, the officials in a certain city noticed that somebody was hijacking power from the, like the main power plant or the main power source. So somebody was like siphoning off power, not paying for it, like a massive amounts of, of power being used every month for something. They tried to track it down and they found, they thought they were going to find a, um, a farm of, growing illegal substances that requires energy. But, what, but they didn't find that. They found something else. They found a Bitcoin mining center. Essentially, all these servers hooked up or whatever, all these computers hooked up. I don't think they're servers, but all these like massive computers 
um, mining Bitcoin. If you don't know what mining Bitcoin is, don't worry, no one does. It's all about the, uh, the blockchain. And no, I mean, I'm saying no one really, know, like everyone knows kind of, but like, what is it really? I don't know. Who knows? It's like Charlie bit my finger, $750,000, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's wild. Back to our story, they found these, these computers were using massive amounts of energy and obviously they shut it down. Again, I'm using this as an example of, um, of, of power. And don't worry, I'm not trying to crash Bitcoin. I am not Elon Musk. Don't worry, I don't have that, that, that ability. So, so look, um, uh, so they're, they're, you're taking energy from a place where it's supposed to go somewhere else and you're siphoning it off to an undesired place. And I'm using all these examples, and I could keep on going, but I think uh, the point is being clear, to give illustrations of what we would call energy leaks. And just as it is in the world around us, it also exists, this phenomenon also exists in the world inside of us, right? As it exists when it comes to our homes or our power grids or our vehicles, the same thing is true in our inner spaces, in our heart and soul that we also have, we also have sometimes these energy leaks. And these can take on different forms, and I'll explain what I mean. Instead of, you know, we all wake up every morning with a certain amount of energy. We wake up, we have a certain amount of energy and strength, practically, um, bandwidth, you might call it, right? Just the, the, the ability to deal with stuff and to handle stuff and the physical energy to take on stuff. There's, you know, we're not, we're not unlimited beings. We have limited amount of, of, of strength and ability and attention span and all that stuff. And it's important, as Judaism teaches and as modern psychology teaches as well, it's important that we make sure that our energy is being directed to the places that are worthy of our energy being directed, right? So, you know, whether it's uh, working on ourselves and our relationships and our purpose in life and our work, you know, et cetera, and taking care of things we have to take care of, it's important that we direct the energy toward those activities. And of course, our faith and our spiritual growth, all that stuff. But what happens very often is that we find ourselves in a, in a state in which our energy is leaking. What that means is that we're directing our energy to places that frankly are not worth our energy, don't deserve our energy. And in doing so, we don't have enough energy left for the things that we should be directing our energy to. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we find ourselves like getting involved in things you know, whether it's worry, you know, being anxious, worry, fear, um, that's kind of all the same, um, or getting angry, or maybe even being happy about things that aren't worth, don't deserve our energy. Our energy is a finite, it's a finite, I don't know what the right word is, utility, I don't know if utility is right. So it's, our energy is finite. We'll just leave it like that. So to direct it, to leak it to places that don't deserve is it does a disservice to us.
Thank you. Finite resource. Good. Yes. Thank you, Susan. Right? It's a finite resource. But so often we find ourselves getting involved, you know, emotionally invested and psychologically, you know, bothered by things that aren't even our thing. That in reality, they're not for us. They're not about us. You know, the other person doesn't care if we, if we, if we're involved in that or not. I mean, just on a very basic level. Listen, we all need distractions in life at some point, but how much time and energy do we put in following other people's lives, right? Whether it's, I mean, used to be in, you know, the tabloids or whatever it is and, you know, obsessing with, but now it's, you know, it's Instagram, it's everywhere. Everyone's an influencer, so everyone's, you know, you gotta, you gotta follow the influencers. And I'm not knocking influencers, and that's a, that's a thing also. But my point is, if I wake up in the morning and I ask myself the question, I have, you know, X units, X number of units of, of energy today. You know, what is the best use of my energy, right? There's a lot of stuff that we're doing each day that don't, if we're mindful about it, don't fit in that category. And a lot of stuff that we get upset about, like, oh, I can't believe that person did that, that, this, that, or the other, where, you know, honestly, that's their life, it's their thing. For me to get worked up about that is just to siphon, just to suck away energy from myself and to leak it to a place that is unproductive, unhealthy, and, uh, and, and really unnecessary. So Judaism, along with modern psychology, teaches us the importance of keeping our energy where it needs to be, not allowing it to leak, no leaky windows or doors, no drafts, right? No, no, no drafts blowing in or out of the space. So we don't want our energy going, leaking into places. We don't want our attention span, our, our mental energy, our emotional investment going to places that are unnecessary, number one. Number two, we don't want outside influences, right, creeping in and taking over our inner spaces. So kind of like, getting back to my house example, which is why I brought up in the beginning, it's kind of like a, a, a house that doesn't have an energy leak. I mean, I guess, you know, nothing is 100%, you know, energy, you know, there's no 100% energy bubble in a house, but you do your best to make sure your windows are keeping out you know, the, keeping out the air from coming in, keeping stuff from going out, and the doors the same way. You put, um, you know, those, what is it? The weather strip thing, is that, is that what it's called? Like the thing on the bottom of the door. You can see I'm very well-versed in these things. Anyway, the point is you do your best to make sure that everything's staying where it needs to be. Nothing's going out that shouldn't be going out, and nothing's coming in that shouldn't be coming in. And it's the same, th- same thing with our lives. There's a great story it's a harsh story, but it's a great story, especially when it didn't happen to, to me. It's a great story. There was a fellow. He was a, a chassid, a Hasidic fellow. This is going back a few hundred years to the times of the Magra Mizrich, who was the student of the Baal Shem Tov. So Baal Shem Tov was like in the 16, 1700s. So we're talking about, yeah, a good 300 years ago. Anyway, so this, this fellow goes to his his spiritual master, and he says, I'm having difficulty with my focus. 
you know, I, I know the importance of staying focused, especially when praying, for example, where we're supposed to be, you know, in that zone of, of connection with, with our source and being vulnerable and being conscious of, of, a, of, of the higher reality in our lives and in the universe. But I find myself in, that, in, that, in those moments of prayer, distracted, all sorts of thoughts are, are filling my head and it's really hard to focus. And I think, by the way, just I'm cutting in parenthetically into the story, I think many of us who have tried meditation or tried other forms of focused thought have found this to be true. It's really hard sometimes to stay focused inside without being, you know, infiltrated, if you will, by other distracting thoughts. So this was his struggle in a Jewish context, in a Jewish spiritual context. And his rabbi said, here's my advice. Go to, and I don't remember the name, I don't even know if the name is... Maybe the name was quoted in the original story, but go to so-and-so, you know, who lives in such and such place, and he will provide the answer, the solution. He will give you guidance on this, on this uh, challenge. And so this chassid, this disciple, uh, thanks his chassidic master and heads off to this other guy's house. And he arrives there toward evening. And remember, this is Russia, so it's cold. And um, all good chassidic stories, by the way, emanate from Russia or Poland, because that's kind of where all this stuff happened. So he's, it's Russia, it's cold, it might be the winter, it might not be the winter, it was still cold, and he knocks, he arrives at the house, he knocks on the fellow's door, and he waits. And he sees there's kind of a light, it's not like the house is pitch dark, there is, there's a light on in the house, but there's no answer. Keeps on knocking, there's no answer tries for like a half an hour, every few minutes knocking, no answer. He's confused, he's upset, he doesn't know what to do, but what are you going to do? So he takes his, his stuff that he took with him, he takes out, maybe he had some sort of like, I'm sure he was wearing a coat, but maybe some other stuff in the bag, and he kind of, you know, insulates himself, and he curls up to go to sleep on the guy, on that fellow's front porch, stoop, whatever they had. Steps. I don't know if they had steps in Russia. Who knows? But whatever. Okay. And the next morning, the door opens. And the, uh, the owner of the house says, good morning. Wakes him up. Welcome. Come on in. And the fellow says, he's, you know, he's, he's just waking up. He's just trying to get his senses together. He says to him, Thank you for opening up. I don't get it. Were you here last night? How come you didn't answer? I was knocking. It was cold. It's freezing. Why didn't you answer? So the fellow said, because I wanted to teach you a lesson. Again, it's a little bit harsh, but work with me here. And what's the lesson? You are the balabas. I'm going to use the, uh, the Hebrew Yiddish term. You are the balabas over your house. Balabas means the master. You're in control, right? You are the balabas of your house. What you want to let in, you can decide to let in. What you don't want to let in, you don't have to let in. And that, of course, was this person's answer. The answer is that just like you're in control of your house, you decide to open your front door, to not open your front door of your home, so too you, are, you and I are in control of our thoughts what to let in and what not to let in. And I know that's easier said than done, 
but it's a, it's a perspective. The perspective is that we need to at least decide, it begins with a decision, we have to at least decide that we are going to assert our control over ourselves. That we are going to assert command over our consciousness, over our psyche, over our thoughts and our words and our actions to say, this is, what I'm, this is where I am, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to say, and, and the other stuff I'm not going to. Which speaks directly to this concept of energy leaks, because so often, as I mentioned a few moments ago, so often we find ourselves caring about things that don't care about us. I think it was Elizabeth Taylor, maybe, or someone else. I might be misquoting who it was, but some, someone famous, famous actress, actor, who once, and, and she experienced, I think, a burglary at her home. And some jewelry, some really expensive jewelry was stolen. And reporters asked her, you know, how do you feel? Are you heartbroken about the stuff that was stolen? And she said, again, it might have been Elizabeth Taylor, it might have been somebody else, somebody can Google it. She said, and I'm paraphrasing, I won't cry over things that won't cry for me. Something like that. Like, I'm not going to spend my, right? I'm not going to cry over something that won't or can't cry for me. And it's not a narcissistic statement. I think it's a powerful statement. I think, and I think it's a true statement. How often do we spend our time worried about and leaking energy into things that frankly don't care about us, don't even know we exist? But meanwhile, we're expending all this energy over something that if we think about it in truth, are really not so relevant to our lives. And the biggest proof is, it's not relevant at all to, the, to their lives. You know, whether it's an inanimate object or somebody we've never met and don't know, to get involved on such a level is just to leak our own energy. And like in the example of the Hasidic story that I told, it's really important to make sure that we open the door only for things that are worthy for the door opening. So if it's something that part, that's part of our mission, purpose, part of our, you know, what we need to do, what we want to do, that's one thing. But, the, but, but so much of our energy, our headspace, our emotional bandwidth is leaked into places that frankly are just not, not, not deserving of our special gifts. And so this is not meant to be what I'm trying to say here is it's not meant to be a criticism. On the contrary, it's meant to be a call, an inspiring call to action, to gird ourselves, to strengthen ourselves, to make sure that our precious gifts are going where they're needed. Going where they are absolutely needed. And not where... You know, if we finish a day and we have no energy, if, or forget finish a day, if we're going through a day and we don't have energy to do the things that we want or need to do because the energy has been leaking, it's like the house where the bill is hundreds of dollars, you know, on heating, and it's still cold because the heat is going elsewhere, right? So it's really important 
that it goes, that our energy goes where it needs to go. Genevatat, good. Tony's asking, is this like Genevatat, which is theft of the mind? Similar. This might be a spiritual way. So theft of the mind is usually understood in halachic, in Jewish legal, um, in the framework of Jewish legalities as deception, where somebody is misrepresenting themselves to someone else. So um, somebody straight up like fraud or deception or even misrepresentation of self, misrepresentation of one's um, motives, right? Like I present myself in a certain way. Meanwhile, I have this, ulterior motive that you don't know about yet. And then at some point, it's going to... So that's typically the, the, the issue, with, uh, the, the understanding of, of Genevatat and, and the wrongfulness of it, which is deception of the mind, tricking someone else. But I think what you're saying is powerful because perhaps there's also a Genevatat for ourselves. In other words, there's us setting up a theft of headspace, Right? having that be stolen by other external forces or even internal forces that aren't worthy of accessing that tremendous gift and those tremendous resources. It's like the power plant that's being sucked, you know, the power that's being sucked by something that shouldn't be taking that power. It's like it, the, you know, it's like the, the air in the tires, it's going out, it's, it's deflating oneself and putting that energy, putting that air in, 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 into, um, into a place that it, where it shouldn't go. And by the way, I would say, one of the keys to, to knowing whether or not we're expending the energy in the right places is how do we feel when we're done? If we feel very depleted, it usually means that the energy did not go to the right place. If we feel energized by expending the energy, then it means it's going to the right places. And I'll elaborate on that for just a moment. When we're expending our energy in the right places, it invigorates us. Because even though we spent a lot of energy, there's a thrill. It's not only a thrill, you get thrills from anything, but it's, there's a sense of purpose, a sense of, of meaning, a sense of satisfaction, of really investing the energy, our energy, where it needed to go. And so even though on a physical level, you know, where we've depleted that energy, there's also an invigoration of, of spirit and energy because we're, we're utilizing in the right way. But when it's being leaked, it doesn't feel good. It feels like we're being used or maybe we're using ourselves, but it's not, it doesn't, does it, at the end of it, we feel depleted and we feel degraded almost because it's like I used all my energy or all my energy went for that. It doesn't feel good. So there's, there's a practical depletion of energy, but then there's how do I feel about that? Do I feel happy about that? Or do I feel a sense of shame perhaps, or a sense of frustration, embarrassment, right? Like I expended all that energy for what? What did I do today? Like what, what, what was this all about? And that compounds the loss of energy. And that can really lead to a, a, a low state, a low inner state, where a person feels low energy and feels aimless almost, God forbid, and it kind of like it's a, it's a, a self, it's a negative cycle where it leads to, you know, less energy and less feeling good and less energy and it can go down to a, it's a negative spiral. The positive form is 
expending the same amount of energy, but in those places where it's meant to go, and that feeds off of itself in a positive way and creates, builds up our energy, increases our energy. So even though we're tired at the end of the day, but we feel good about it, and we're ready to take on the next day and the next challenge. Anyway, I hope this makes sense. The reason why I'm saying all of this is, number one, to understand how this works in the universe, and in, in, in the physical universe, to understand how it works inside of us. But the third point is, and this is the big idea today, to understand how this also works in a very similar way on a spiritual cosmic level. So not just when it comes to air conditioning, heating, and power plants, but when it comes to the spiritual life force of the universe, there's also the idea of the energy, cosmic divine energy, being directed to the correct places, and there's the idea of it being misdirected or leaking, or maybe a better, a better term for this is being hijacked by other forces and going to other places where the energy is not supposed to go. So for this, let's speak about cosmic energy for a moment. Give me a second. Okay. So as you know, because I'm looking around the room, everyone here has studied with me. Everyone here has studied Kabbalah before. Um, so as you all know, the way things work on a cosmic level, according to Kabbalah, is that spiritual energy, spiritual life force, spiritual light, whatever you want to call it, right? Light, energy, life force emanates, originates from on high and comes below. But although I looked up and pointed up and then trickled down with my fingers, it's not spatially up and down, right? It's not like God is, you got to crane your neck to see God because God is up and we're down physically. It's not up and down. We just use terms up and down as a frame of reference for our own language and how our mind works. It's not physically up and down. It's spiritually up and down, which in, spiritual, uh, in the spiritual universe, there are no directions, so there's not actually up and down there either. But what it really means is closer and further away from divine consciousness. So spiritual energy begins in a space close to God. And then it flows outward, so to speak, and downward, so to speak, into subsequently distant, further distant and lower realms. So in short, the energy, I'm just going to use, see, see why it's easier just to point up and down? Okay, so, so again, on a cosmic level, the energy originates above and comes down, trickles down below. The lower it gets, the less perceptible it gets. So in its source, that's all you can see. That's all that's there is divine light, divine reality. But as it descends from level to level, and Kabbalah speaks about numerous worlds and realms, as the energy flows and continues to expand and travel to lower and lower realms, the energy itself becomes diminished and less perceptible. So it doesn't actually become lessened, but it becomes less perceived. This is an important idea. There's more um, hiddenness. There's more um, concealment applied to the light. So the light is still there. The energy, the life force of, of God is still there. 
but it's less and less, uh, it's, it's perceived less and less. Until it hits our world in which, you know, there's uh, very little perception. But even in our world, the energy is destined to go to certain places. In other words, it's kind of like the HVAC system, the heating and cooling system, perhaps in your home, where you have a box, for lack of a better term, a box or a system somewhere that pumps out the heat or the cooling, heating or cooling, and then you have a, um, a you have duct work, right? That takes that, that heating or cooling and directs it to a certain space where it comes up into the home, right? To an opening in the floor and the ceiling where it comes through. So you have the source which emanates a lot of power, a lot of heat. I mean, think about it. how hot is it at the source? How cold is it at the source? It's really hot or it's really cold, right? But then it travels through this, you know, maybe elaborate system of various, um, you know, the ducts and whatever until it comes I don't know if it's called ducts. Maybe duct is where it ends, but the whatever. whatever the, the silver stuff, right? So it goes through that until it ends up coming through into your home. And there, when, when it comes through, it's, you know, it, 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 it blows, but it's not so hard. It's not the same temperature as the source, but it's providing heating or cooling. In a similar way, the energy, divine energy, cosmic energy for the world emanates above, and there it's, powerful. It's infinitely powerful. And then through an elaborate system of ducts, right? Duct work, so to speak, the energy is channeled to various places. So some energy goes to Atzilut, the world of emanation. Some goes to Bria, the world of creation. Some goes to Yitzir, the world of formation. And some comes to the world of Asiya, the world of action, where we are. No matter where it goes, and within each, realm, each world there are multiple realms, but no matter where it goes, it has a destination. But here's what the Kabbalists teach, and this is the really big idea for today. And hopefully I've laid the groundwork for this idea to understand it spiritually as well, cosmically. Kabbalah says that there are forces in the universe. There are negative forces in the universe whose aim is, their goal, their objective is to suck the energy to leech the energy, to pull the divine energy away from its intended destination and to steal it for themselves. It's kind of like the example I gave before about our Bitcoin miners in, in the UK who were stealing the energy, not paying for it, right? If they paid for it, it's one thing. But they were stealing energy from the grid, the power plant, whatever it was, for their own purposes. There are forces spiritual forces in the universe whose aim and objective is to steal, to misdirect. Well, they would say redirect, but it's really misdirect the divine energy and life force toward a non-holy end, to a non-pure destination, a non-ideal, non-intended destination. Now, what are these forces called? Well, these are names that you and I know. We call them klipa, klipa or klipot, shell or shells, sitra achra, the other side, right? Various names for forces that are um, that that siphon away from the source 
into a place where, um, where it wants it to go, but where it's not intended to go. So it's essentially a misdirection or misappropriation of the energy. Now, where do these things come from? Obviously, klipa and sitrachra, you know, in a, in a strict monotheistic system, we understand that klipa sitrachra, the shell of the other side, all these negative, impure spiritual forces don't have their own source, right? It's not like they come from the dark side. Like, what is the dark side? Everything comes from Hashem. Everything comes from God. So yes, God created also these other forces that stand as a threat to the energy going where it needs to be going. Does that make sense? On a very practical level, see, this is the mystical, I'm using now mystical terminology. So maybe now it's sounding a little bit abstract. But if I told you that we have this in our own lives, right? When we wake up in the morning, we have a certain amount of energy. And then our own evil inclination, animal soul, tempts us into directing our energy into places that aren't worth our time and energy. And that happens every single day. Every single day, our evil inclination and our animal soul is trying to get us invested and excited or saddened and depressed by things that are simply not for our mission. And that is a form of personal klipa and sitrachra, personal shell and other side. In other words, the other force, the opposing force. These are, these are personal examples of these forces attempting to leech off of the energy and to enlarge themselves, so to speak. Because when we direct energy in those spaces, we're just pumping energy, fueling the dark side, the other side. So I'm giving you now how this, I'm kind of connecting my opening with the Kabbalah, with the Kabbalistic terminology and saying how it's not like I just randomly gave an example of energy leaks and now we're talking about cosmic, you know, uh, cosmic leaching. They're, they're really intertwined, right? The personal energy leak, if it's going to an unholy place, is exactly what we're talking about on a personal level. But on a cosmic level, there are forces who are looking, negative forces created by God, to stand opposite holiness, but who can enlarge themselves by drawing energy away from holy spaces. And so their aim, their objective is to pull energy away from holy spaces into unholy spaces. So one classic example, one classic example is in the realm of human intimacy, which holds tremendous potential, tremendous holy potential. In fact, in Judaism, the home is likened to a temple. And what is the holy of holies of, 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 of the home? If we're talking about Kabbalistic or Jewish feng shui, right? What is the holy of holies of the home? It's the bedroom. Why? Because that is the place of the deepest connection. Just like in the temple, the space of connection between human and God, the place of pure convergence of two becoming one was in the holy of holies where the high priest could only go once a year, right? It was that holy space, that nexus of heaven and earth, of human and divine. So too the space in our homes, and our lives, where two become one is also the bedroom. And it's a holy space. And intimacy is a holy activity. But anytime there's holiness, there is tremendous potential 
for the energy to be misdirected into another space, which is why one of the greatest areas, and I'll just speak very generally here, one of the greatest areas of challenge is in the area of, number one, human relationships, but most importantly, intimate, human intimacy. It's precisely because there's the greatest energy there, holy energy, that the klipa and sitrach or the opposing forces station themselves, so to speak, in that space to draw the energy into unholy spaces. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And I know I'm speaking very generally, and I'm not going to speak, I'm not going to speak any, I don't plan on speaking any more specific about this, but you should know that one of the greatest areas of challenge spiritually, and in Judaism and Kabbalah, it speaks about how, how, um, how important it is to have, to be conscious about the right things and et cetera, is in the area of human intimacy. Because again, you have, anytime you have tremendous energy and light, you have a tremendous clamoring on the other side, so to speak, the dark side, right? To draw the energy from there to siphon off, to suck the energy into a negative space. So anytime there's great light, there is great danger. Human example, practical example, think of, you know, think of a bank, which has money and now is the target for, God forbid, robbery. Think of an armored car. Think about a safe. Think, I'm, I'm just giving examples of spaces in which there is tremendous, where there are tremendous resources, now are a target to target for theft, for lack of a better term. The same thing is true with us. The more light there is, the more life force there is, the more energy there is, the more potential there is for it to go to the other side. And the same thing is true on a cosmic level. The greater the light, the greater the presence of the klipot. Oh, back to intimacy. There's a prayer that is recited, that is in the prayer books, that's recited to um, ward off, so to speak, um, any, negative, uh, any negativity in, in, in the experience. And, and the idea is that in areas of life that are the most light-filled, they are the most challenging and require the most effort to make sure that, it's, that, that the energy is going in the right place and it's not being misdirected. What's in it for them? What's in it for the klipa and sitrachra? Simple. Very simple. They are created as the shadow of existence. Right? God wants to create light, so he creates shadow. Why? Number one, there's contrast. Number two, there's free choice. We've spoken about this many times. Why, why does God create the other side, the unholy? We believe everything comes from one source from God, so why would God create Klippa and Sitrachra? Why would God create unholiness? All right, free choice. Can't have free choice without the other side. If there's light, there's shadow. If there's no shadow, you can't appreciate light. I'm giving a number of reasons that we've all heard about, we've all thought about on, on some level. Okay, whatever it is, it exists. But we also know at the same time, according to Kabbalah, that the life force that's in Klippa and Sitra and I believe we have spoken about this in this series, is considered to be a secondary life force because it's not the primary objective of creation. God didn't create the world, the universe, 
for the klipa and sitra achra. He created it for goodness, but in order for goodness to have any value, he also needed to create the other side. But that's a secondary, right? It's a secondary creation. Are you with me? There's primary creation and secondary creation. Primary creation is what God really wants. Secondary creation is what God needs, so to speak, to have in order to facilitate, in order to get what he wants. That's where Klippa and Sitra Akhra come in. Hey, morning. So we have these, you know, these, uh, these dueling forces. But by definition, Klippa and Sitra Akhra don't have a lot of energy. And the energy that they do have is kind of like an afterthought. Not afterthought, but it's the example that we've used before is like somebody who gives something to their enemy behind their back. It's like, okay, fine, take it. Right? It's like, all right, here. I don't even want to look, I don't even want to look at you. It's like, whatever, take it. So it's, it's, it's begrudging. It's done begrudgingly. Right? It's like, I'm not excited about it. I'm fine. Take it. So that's kind of how the energy flows to the other side in a very secondary and begrudging manner. And so what does that side want to do? They want to siphon more energy. They want to steal the energy. <laughs> Hence, the clamoring of Klippa and Sitra Akra to siphon off, to siphon off from, the, uh, from Kedusha, from holiness, because that's where the light is really found. And this gives us another framework, another way to understand why the evil inclination in the animal soul works so hard to get us to do things that we ought not do. Because in doing so, we feed those forces more energy, right? We have a soul that has tremendous light, tremendous divine energy. And the soul is not a secondary creation. The soul is a primary creation of God. God wants the soul. God loves the soul, right? A soul is ultimately at the source of peace of God. So the soul has tremendous energy and power, right? And, and the evil inclination, the animal soul, that's the godly soul. And the animal soul and evil inclination, not as much. They have like secondary energy. So what do they want to do? They want to get more. So not only are they hired to do the job of providing opposition to goodness and holiness, which is true, and we spoke about that before, on a selfish level, they want more energy. Who doesn't want more energy? And so they clamor to get us to use, listen to this, our human energy to invest our energy into spaces that are unholy. And in doing so, we misappropriate the energy from where it should go within us to places that it shouldn't go. Does that make sense? We fuel negativity by investing our energy in negative pursuits. And that leaks our energy on a human level, but it also, on a spiritual level, misappropriates divine energy to a lowly space. What we're going to say today is something really profound. And that is that a human being can live off of fenced goods. A human being can live off of misappropriated energy. Give an example. I don't know why, but I'm thinking about Target. You know the store Target? Okay. 
It's a random association, but work with me. Imagine somebody works at Target and they work in the, um, in the back. They work in, you know, the inventory or whatever it is, trucks that come in. And, and let's say what they do is they're taking stuff that's coming in and somehow, you know, leaking it to a third party, right? So a pallet of stuff comes in, let's say um, uh, 500 boxes of, uh, of iPads come in and one, one goes missing. One gets, you know, let's say two, two get misdirected. So you have someone on the inside that's kind of, you know, helping misdirect to this uh, criminal, um, you know, this theft syndicate. I don't know, syndicate's the right word, but it just came to mind. Okay, so it's, yeah, you have somebody on the inside that's, that's misappropriating, misdirecting, stealing, moving it to where it shouldn't go. But because of their efforts, so the crime syndicate hooks this person up with some stuff, right? So if you're supplying, if you're the one who's, who's leaking all this stuff our way, so we're going to kick back some stuff to you. That's why you would do it, right? That's why you're doing it. Not you, as in you, as in any of you, but that's why one would do it, you know, for the kickback for what they're getting from it, ultimately. So that's what we would call, what I would call, living off of fenced, I don't know, fenced, living off of stolen merchandise, living off of misappropriated items. In a similar way, it works spiritually. A person who is directing their energy, not toward the intended target, but, oh, there you go, pun, no pun intended, not toward the intended destination, but rather toward the forces of negativity and evil, right? So they're taking their soul's divine, godly energy and investing it and, and misdirecting it. Instead of it going into purposeful activities, they're leaking it to all sorts of other wasteful, other you know, inappropriate or simply, you know, just unnecessary activities, enlarging the forces of Klippa and Sitrachra, enlarging the force of shadow, expanding the shadow force, right? So that person who's facilitating the expansion of the shadow force takes a piece of that misappropriated energy gets a cut from the top. But as he'll say, and we're about to jump into the text inside, this can only last for so long. It's not a sustainable system. A human being is designed to derive energy from the source in a straightforward flow from source to us into our activities and flow through, into, into positive activities and to flow that way. For a person to get energy from the misappropriation of the energy into dark spaces and to then be sustained and enlivened both materially, practically, as well as spiritually and conceptually by that misappropriation, number one is a, 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 a contortion, a twisting of the human being in a way that one is not supposed to be twisted. And number two, so it's unhealthy. And number two, it's not sustainable. 
There's only so long that we can go living off of, you know, the, the leaked goods that we're leaking somewhere else and we're getting a kickback. There's only so long that that's going to work on multiple levels. At some point, it gets shut down. Whether on that side or on this side or on this side, it gets shut down. It's not a sustainable system. All of this... Hold on, let me just check in. Does this, does this make sense, what I'm saying? Yes? Okay. Yeah, Susan, you want to jump in? Um, I, have a, I just have a couple things to say about sure. um, that I wanted to go back to the idea of that shutting the door, the house, where you try to work with not letting yes. you know, certain uh, thoughts, words, and deeds come in and out. And I was thinking about um, that with words and deeds, that's so much, it's easier because it's an action. Right. Right. With thoughts, you know, as someone said to me, thoughts are like saliva. You can't necessarily, they just come. Right. And you can't necessarily control them. So that's like the, it's going to leak in and out. But the idea is to get curious about your thoughts rather than letting them take you out the door or letting them in to have like that power over you. It's hard. It's yeah. It's so much so much work. I, I want to give, yeah, thanks for mentioning that because I, as I was saying it, I was thinking maybe I should elaborate on it and, and share some more um, um, Hasidic thought on it and, 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 and Kabbalistic insight. Along the lines of what you're saying, step number one is knowing that control is possible. But that doesn't mean that one suddenly has that control because what does that mean? So what do I do? I shut the door. Where's, where's the door? What is the door that I'm shutting? Like in my house, I understand what you're saying. I'll weatherproof it. I'll replace it with the whatever, triple paint, whatever they call it. Like I understand what to do on a physical level, but inside my head, what do I do? Because as you said, thoughts are always flowing. In the language of Kabbalah, it's like a river. Like it's always flowing forward. You're not going to stop the flow. So, so what do you do? Um, so I'll share with you on a practical level, again, along the lines of what you're saying, it's training ourselves to have the ability to redirect our thoughts in a, in a, to, to, in a direction that we want to, that we choose to. So we can't stop the intrusive thought from coming to us, but what we can do is stop engaging and feeding that thought. The example that I've given before is, you know, I mean, nowadays I would hope everyone has like a browser or browser or um, extensions that stop pop-ups on, on your on your internet. I, I know it's complicated with advertising and money. I, I don't want to wade into this concept because it's a complicated complicated subject. But I, on a for basic you know browsing safety, I would hope that you know we all have some sort of protection on our on our browsers. It used to be back in the day, you know, in the early days of the internet, you would be innocently browsing something and suddenly a pop-up would appear, right? Now the question is, what do I do? Do I click the little X in the corner and, and shut it down? Or do I click read more or see more? Do I engage it? So I'm not going to stop the intrusive thought. I cannot stop the intrusive thought from popping up into my mind, right? From announcing itself. But what I can control is the next action. What, what happens next? Do I further give energy to this thought along the lines of what we're saying today? 
or do I cut off the oxygen from this thought? And what the, it's like fire, right? So if I keep on giving it oxygen, it's gonna keep on you know, being inflamed. If I cut off the oxygen, it's going to die out very, very, very quickly. And so what, it, what constitutes in this example or in the analog, oxygen or no oxygen, it's basically attention. Am I gonna give it attention or am I gonna divert my attention to somewhere else? And that requires a strength of mind on two levels. Number one, to notice when this is happening at its inception. Because if we only notice that we're thinking about an intrusive thought, like when we're already down that rabbit hole and have already fueled it, it's much harder to stop the fire from burning once it's already you know, taken root. So number one, there's two, two elements. Number one is being very aware of our thoughts, being attuned to our mind, right? It's just being very aware of what we're thinking about so that we notice when, when the pop-ups come to, come, come to the fore. That's number one. And number two, it's having the, the mental ability, having the, 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 the mind power to willfully direct one's thoughts to a subject of one's own choosing. So when I notice, step one, when I notice an intrusive thought that is either ugly or depressing or dangerous or unholy or not so spiritual or you know, self-destructive, whatever it is, I notice it, number one. Number two, I have the ability to not fight it because fighting a thought never works, right? If I fight a thought, I'm just more into the thought. I'm now more engaged in the thought than ever, right? It's not fighting the thought. It's immediately or as soon as possible moving to a different thought. You see, the liability of thought is also its, 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 um, its redeeming quality. The negative part of thought is that it keeps on coming. It keeps on you know, coming at us. But the positive is, it keeps on coming at us. In other words, it keeps on flowing. So just like this thought flowed into my mind, I can redirect it and not redirect it, but redirect my thoughts to another thought and just very gently move out of that space and think about something else. And I think we've all done that. We've all in our lives at some point and maybe countless times have willfully decided to think about something else. So this is just an extension and a more conscious practice of that, of an ability that we all know that we have, right? We're not locked into our minds. We're not stuck in that space. For now, I would say, obviously, listen, I, I can't say we are not as a general statement. Everyone has different challenges, and it could be that somebody has a very strong challenge in this area. But I would say for the most part, most of us have our challenge in this area, but have the ability to, to choose um, to move off of that. So that's what I mean by shutting the door. It's less saying, well, I'm not going to think about this thought anymore to let me think about something else, which in essence closes the door on that thought because it cuts off the oxygen. That's a long response to what you're saying, but thank you for bringing that up because that's right. a very important idea. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it is easier to shut the door to words and actions. For right? sure. And the other thing that I, I wanted to ask about and uh, follow up with and, and talk about just for a second is I've had friends and family members, let's say, because um, you're speaking about this vaguely, that are outsourcing their energy while it should be put on their family. 
and marriage, right? They're outsourcing. And one thing that they say is, I've never felt so energized. I've never felt so vital. I've never felt so, you know, when you were saying like when we do the right thing, a lot of times we feel vitalized and we feel good. So my question to them is always, are you integrated? Because I think, and and what you said was, is it bringing real meaning? Because I think sometimes if we look, like sometimes when we outsource or when we are using, misappropriating that, there is a lot of energy in the mystery or the seekiness or, you know, aspects of it that makes you feel like it's an energizing activity. Right. But ultimately, it, it doesn't have the integration. And so that is where... I think that's a very important point. And yeah, it speaks very, very strongly to the point before. And it also speaks to the last point that I just made, which is that when we are part of that energy leak, and we're speaking now a specific form of that, right? So we end up, in the language of Kabbalah, we end up taking energy from that experience and getting the first cut. But it's not sustainable. In other words, it will lead to a high in the moment. And it could be that that feeling, that rush, is, feels greater than the energy when it's directed in the appropriate way. In other words, there could be a greater, I'm just going to use the word rush or adrenaline, even though I don't only mean that physically, I mean that spiritually. There could be a greater rush in the misappropriation, a greater excitement, right, in that misappropriation than had we been just doing the right thing, so to speak, or what we're supposed to be doing. But that doesn't indicate that it's holy or correct. The rush is not an indication of, of holiness, which is really the, the key idea of today's class. That there is a rush, and a person could say, we're going to explain a verse in Torah, I'm going to do what I want because it's going to benefit me. I'm going to have that rush. And the, 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 the big idea today is, number one, it's not healthy spiritually and on every other level, right? And number two, it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable thing, which I think we can all understand in the examples that we're talking about. Alex, yeah. Thank, Susan, thank you. Alex. Just, uh, just yeah. one um, follow-up on what Susan said, and that is, um, I think it's, for me, um, it can be difficult to distinguish between um, the that activity. How does one really know that that activity is misdirected activity as opposed to activity of, of the highest degree? Right. Good. Good question. So it really depends on what we're talking about. Um, it really depends on, on specifically what we're talking about. Look, we can give like easy examples where like, oh yeah, that's obviously misdirected. Right in the context of intimacy, for example, it would mean, you know. Um, anyway, what, it, there, there's, there, there are there are easier examples, and then there are more difficult examples. And when I say difficult, there are more subtle examples. So, you know, it's. I think that most of the time, in the big areas, we know. Um, sometimes in the more subtle areas, we need guidance. 
which is why we have friends and hopefully mentors and we have the ability to discuss this with others to check in and see, you know, like, hey, wait, is this where I should be investing? Am I investing my energy in, a, in, a, in an appropriate place or is this not appropriate? One more thing, if I could just add. Yeah, for sure. There. Yeah. Um, it's not, sometimes it's not even that that activity is misdirected activity. It's that it's excess activity. You could work example. Right. Um, exercise as an example. Right. You know, that we, we do more than that is which is necessary in a way that that excess keeps us from from doing other activity, right. which is the holiest activity. Yeah, good, very good point. Excellent point. Yes, that is also another possibility. Something that is, let's say, permitted or good in a certain within measure going beyond that could be another example of of um, of of leaking the energy where it shouldn't go. So you're right. I, I, I like I like what you're saying. In other words, sometimes it's easier to talk about, you know, boxes. Right. So like this box is kosher. This box is not kosher. Don't leak that. But even within, let's say, a kosher box, so to speak, but maybe too much investment would be considered excess and a misappropriation. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and, and I think, but in general, right, what I said a moment ago, I would, still, I would still say that, you know, when it's more obvious, it's more obvious. When it's less obvious, it's really important to check in. I mean, we could check in with ourselves, but if we're having trouble, you know, determining, well, is this excess? Is it misappropriated? Is this fine? Is this where I should be, where I shouldn't be? So we hope to have that answer inside, but sometimes we need to turn to others. And, and that's why it says in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, it says, Ase rav, have a rav, have a, have a mentor, and make sure you have a good friend also. So we need mentors, we need friends, you know, both have their role in, in, in our lives. I will say, the Rebbe advocated very strongly over the years that people should have spiritual mentors because it's really hard to navigate life. I know I'm telling you something that you've never heard before. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, it, life is difficult. And, and, and friends can help and friends are tremendously important. But there's also the idea of Asela Harav. Make sure that to have a mentor. And it doesn't have to be somebody older. It, 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 it's just some, essentially it's somebody who has a perspective that's not yours. That's, that's the basic qualification. Someone who has a bit of wisdom, but primarily is not you. And a friend sometimes is, is good, but a friend could also support you and have your back, but not always give you the advice that you need. Right? There's two types of friends. There's the friends that tell you what you want to hear, and then there are friends that tell you what you don't want to hear. You need both. And maybe the second category I don't remember which is first or second, but maybe the category of friends that tells you what you don't want to hear, maybe that's more aligned with the idea of having a mentor. But either way, the point is that it's important that we have kind of outside voices in our lives that can help guide us in these situations because life is subtle. Life, like, life can get very tricky. I want to jump inside and do a little bit of the text because we have, um, we have a lot of really powerful text to explore. Oh, oh, also very important. Breaking news. Breaking news. When we started this text, if you recall, I said this book was out of print. This book, Overcoming Folly, which is 
upwards of 500 pages, this book, out of print. I just checked the, the publisher's website for an unrelated book, actually, for this book, green is the theme today, A Life-Changing Mashpia. Mashpia, by the way, that word mashpia means spiritual mentor. Just speaking about mentorship, right? Mashpia in, in, in Hasidic terminology and in Hebrew means spiritual mentor. Life-Changing Mashpia, this is the story of Rabbi Shlomo Chaim, Rabbi Shlomo Chaim Kesselman. It's one of the great spiritual mentors of the last generation. Passed away, um, I think now 50 years ago, but his, his influence is still, still felt. He is my wife's great-grandfather. So this book was published, was really driven by my father-in-law, by Leah's father. And um, it just came out like a few days ago. So we got the book right away. We ordered it the second it came out. We just got the book. And um, I was just browsing books on websites and whatever. And I realized, back to this story, that our text, Overcoming Folly, is back in print. So if you get the, if you get the, the Kabbalah and Coffee email every, uh, you know, for every Sunday, I just put the link in the last email that I sent out on Friday. If you want the link and don't have it, just let me know. You can shoot me a text or send me an email and I'll send you the link to buy the book. You get it. You order it from the publisher, ship it to your house. You're good to go. Um, okay, let's... Let me share my screen. I'm going to pull up the text that we're up to and let's do, it, do this inside because we have a lot to get to. Ch chapter number three. Take a look at this. You're going to love this. Everything that we spoke about up until now is going to be found in the following paragraphs using Kabbalistic terminology, but it's all the concepts that hopefully we are now familiar with. Chapter three. Here we go. From the thirsty to the sated. Wow, what, a, what, a, what a, um, an obscure uh, title to this chapter. But let's jump in. Now we can understand the verse. It, this is a verse from Deuteronomy. He shall bless himself in his heart. Oh, bless his heart. Saying, I shall have peace. Even though, okay, the verse says in Deuteronomy that somebody might say at some point, somebody might bless their own hearts. In other words, they would say, like, um, I feel okay, I shall have peace because I'm going to do whatever I want. Right? That's the verse. He shall bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though by what my heart sees fit, I will go. In other words, even though the person is doing what they want, so how could it be? that things are going to be good if you're just doing whatever you want. Nonetheless, I shall have peace. And thereby, sefot, the sated with the thirsty. Sefot is a Hebrew word, a biblical word. Sefot, the sated, the satisfied, with the thirsty. Now, you're probably thinking, what in the world are we talking about? And that's okay, because he has not yet explained. Let's jump into the explanation and hopefully based on everything that I've said up until now and, and the following lines of, these, of this chapter, it's going to make sense. Sefot, in the brackets, Sefot has been defined as combine. Or, oh, I had a better word for this. Um, combine or to... adhere to, to leech on to. Okay, to adhere to or leech onto. So sfot means combine or connect or leech or right 
adhered to. So to combine the sated with the thirsty, what does that mean? Meaning to elicit vitality from the thirsty to the sated. A person is going to say, I will do what I want and it's going to be good. I'm going to feel good doing what I want. Why? Because I am going to suck the vitality from the thirsty, which is the realm of holiness, to the sated, which is the realm of unholiness. In other words, I'm going to misappropriate the energy from holiness to unholiness, and that is going to give me the energy or the thrill or whatever it is that we spoke about before, right? So I, I will do whatever I want, and I'll be okay, right? The, the Torah in Deuteronomy is telling us what somebody might, the, the, the calculation that somebody might make in their head to allow themselves to do something that they know they shouldn't be doing. And, and what's this, this, this inner calculation or this inner um, thought process? It's, I'm okay, I'll do what I want, and I'll still be okay because, because I will svot the seder with the thirsty. I'm going to siphon off, I'm going to suck, I'm going to leech. I'm going to cannibalize. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm going to take from the thirsty, which is the realm of holiness, to the sated, to the realm of unholiness. Now, why is thirsty holiness and sated unholiness? We spoke about that last, last week at length. Thirsty represents that which is spiritually thirsty, always yearning for more. And sated is all my pleasures here on the ground, well-defined physical pleasures. So thirsty is holiness, sated is unholiness. So thirsty is godly soul, sated is animal soul. So, combining sated with thirsty means, essentially, that my lower self is sucking, is misappropriating, is pulling the energy from the divine place to the lower place, and in turn, in that process, I feel okay, and maybe even a little bit alive, maybe even a little bit invigorated. And this is, and I hope this makes sense. In other words, everything that we said before is captured in these few lines using Kabbalistic and biblical terminology. And all of this is according to the mystical interpretation of her feet go down to death. Again, a Kabbalistic reference. Her feet go down to death. Her feet, I'm just going to, before we do it inside, let me just tell you what this means. Her feet is a reference to Malchut, which is the cosmic soul. Feminine, the feminine divine energy, which is like the soul is feminine, neshama is feminine, um, shechina is feminine, divine presence. So it's taking the, 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 the divine energy and bring it down to a space of death and disconnection. Again, using our relationship example, it's taking energy, holy energy, and putting it into a very unholy place. Speaking of energy, I just got a notification of low battery. So let me plug in my computer. Give me five seconds to do that so that the energy goes where it needs to be. Let me just make sure that it's charging. It is. Okay. All right. I am back. So he says that when a person chooses to do something that they want to do, it's not in their purposeful or higher interest. So they could say, I shall have peace. It's going to be fine because the sated will combine with the thirsty. I'm going to suck the energy from the holy space in my unholy activity 
and I'm going to derive energy from that misappropriation itself. And this is based on the same similar mystical idea as her feet go down to death. Let's continue. Earlier in Discourse 5, Chapter 3, we discussed that through a sinful act, the life force issuing from the letter He, that's Malchut or Shechina, the lower... God has four letters in his name, Yud and He and Vav and He. The lowest letter is, a, is representative of Malchut, the Shechina, the divine energy that is the soul of the universe. So through a sin, sinful act, the life force issuing from the letter He, which is the same He implied in the word Hatzmeah, the thirsty, it says, combine the Seder with the thirsty, right? The thirsty is Hatzmeah, or He, the letter He, Tzmeah. It works in the Hebrew, and the English doesn't really work, but He Tzmeah, the He is thirsty. So, the, um, uh, so let me start again. So we, uh, through a sinful act, the life force issuing from the letter He, the same He implied in the word Hatzmeah, the thirsty is elicited to the tense firot of Noga. So through a misappropriate, um, uh, uh, an inappropriate act, we misappropriate the divine energy within ourselves, within the world, within the action. We misappropriate it, and that energy is elicited, or that energy is flowing now to the ten Sphero, the ten energies of Noga. Noga is impurity. Then the flow is invested within the 70 princes, which is the state we have called sated. From there, the life force continues even to the sinning person themselves. That last sentence is why we feel energized. Again, a person is taking divine energy, misappropriating it, leaking it to the sphero of Noga and the 70 princes, you know, the evil, the evil forces in the world. And then from there, the life force continues to, to loop back even to the sinning person. So yes, a person can get energy and vitality spiritually and practically from negative activity. Yes, like our target example of the person who's working in Target who leaks a few boxes of iPads and who gets an iPad from that experience, right? Because they get hooked up with part of the part of the stuff. Yes, it's possible. Yes, it could happen. Yes, it does happen. But it's an unhealthy way to do business, right? Rather work honestly, get paid, and and buy an iPad, right? And get get whatever you need, right? That way, rather do it in a straightforward fashion than misappropriating it, stealing it to the other side, and then, getting, and then getting recompense from the dark side. That's what's happening here, right? The person, and, and by the way, we're all, we've all, we're all in the same boat together, right? It's not like we're speaking about some like horrible, evil, it's, we've all done things that we shouldn't have done. And in those moments, Kabbalah is teaching us right now, right here, right now, in these paragraphs, in these words, in these sentences, these lines. Kabbalah is teaching us that when we make a negative choice, what's happening is we're taking pure divine energy that was meant to go to a pure place, sending it off to the dark place, to the shadow space, fueling, pumping up those areas with more energy than they deserve. And then from there, the life force continues even to the sinning person. In Igarat HaTshuva chapter 6, we find that after the destruction of Jerusalem, Igarat HaTshuva is one of the sections of Tanya that the author, author by the author of the founder of Chabad. So in Igarat HaTshuva, we find that after the destruction of Jerusalem and sin 
cause the life force issuing from the latter hay of Havaya to descend, as we noted. In other words, there was a cosmic shift that happened after the destruction of Jerusalem, after the second temple was destroyed, where this exile of the Shekhinah, this latter letter hay could really fall down to a low place as never before. So when this when this became the new the new norm or not the new norm but the new possible possible reality, so even the sinful and rebellious ones in Israel can receive nurture for their bodies and animal souls precisely as do other living creatures, for they are compared to animals. In other words, we, right, a human being a Jew, whatever, is supposed to get the energy from the holy place channeled into a holy place. So from holy to holy. But we have the ability to act in a way that is misaligned with our purpose. And you would think, oh, you misaligned with your purpose, then you're cut off. Okay, so maybe I should have started this way. Maybe I should have started the, the class this way. You would think that if you cut the cord, if you cut the power cord, that's it, you're done. The point is you're not done. Why not? It's not instant, you know, disappearance. Why? Because a person doesn't cut the cord. They, they redirect the energy to another space. And then from there, they're plugged in. And so you're getting now energy from a dark space, but you're still getting energy. But his point is that's not the right way. It's like instead of getting the energy straight down from holy to holy, you're taking the holy slanting it somewhere else, and then connecting there. It's, it's, it's complete, you know, it's, it's, it's just out of alignment. It's like the example that we were given before. You can either find, a, you know, the intimacy in your relationship, or you can find it somewhere else. Why find it somewhere else if you can find it in your relationship? Right? That's what we're talking about here. Um, but it's possible to get this energy from the dark side. Let's continue. The truth is, he says, that it is possible that he will have peace. In other words, it could be very good for the person who is misappropriating the energy and doing the wrong thing. It could be good. It's not like, oh, if you do that, oh, it's going to be devastating. No. It's, <laughs> look what he says. The truth is that it's possible that he will have peace. But that would only be for an idolater. Look what he says. Those who receive nurture from the hinder part, like from one who casts over his shoulder. In other words, is that what you want? You want to get it like, like uh, through the dark side? Through that misappropriation? However, referring to Israel, it says, in other words, what's the ideal route? God will not wish to forgive him, which is an elicitation of God's will as is known. That forgiveness is the evoking and turning of God's will toward the forgiven person. Here the statement is God will not wish to forgive him for on the contrary then the fury of God and his wrath will blaze. God's anger will be visited upon such a person meaning the withdrawal of God's will from him God forbid. In other words, yes, in the short term, here's the point, in the short term he will have peace. In the short term. But ultimately, ultimately, it's not a sustainable, I've been using this word throughout this lesson for this reason, it's not a sustainable system to to leak the energy, and then get it from that leaked source. It's not sustainable. At some point, the gig is going to be up. And the way he frames it here is because when we're getting it from that other side, it's not what God wants. And as long as it's not God's will, look what it says. God will not wish to forgive him. It doesn't mean that God will never forgive the person. That's not what he's saying. Hashem, will, if we 
The moment we turn back, we're, we're plugged in. The moment we plug in, we're plugged in. That's not, a, that's not a question. What it means, God will not wish to forgive him. He's talking about wish, the word wish, which is a reference to want or will. What he's saying is that, what, that a person who is misdirecting the energy, right, to the dark side, and then getting it from there, that's not in accordance with God's will. Right? That's what he says. He's not talking, he's not, it's not fire and brimstone, even though, trust me, I know it sounds like that. That's not his intention. His intention is to re- reinterpret the fire and brimstone to mean simply that, is, that it constitutes the withdrawal of God's will from him. And it's not that God is pulling out, it's that the person pulled out. Right? A person is saying, instead of aligning with source, I'm going to misdi- redirect, misdirect, misappropriate, and align with shadow. That's not what God wants. That's not plugging into God's will. It's taking the energy from the hinder side, from from back channels. And at some point, that's going to dry up. And that's what he says in in the last paragraph. Now, although, so again, I just want to clarify this last paragraph, or this part of the paragraph, that sounds like God will not forgive him, the fear of God will blaze. He's explaining what that means. He wouldn't have to explain it if that's what it means, that God is going to just zap the person. That's not what it means. What it means is that, it, that, that, that the person is no longer now aligned with God's will because they are doing something contrary. Okay. But they still can get energy. It still can be good. Right? A person will still have peace, potentially. But it's not sustainable, and that's what he says here. Now, although by examining the cited chapter in the Shul, we find that the sinner can also receive nurture, and the explanation at the end of the chapter is that since the sinner is the one, this is what I mentioned before, since the sinner is the one who causes the citrach on the other side to receive the life force, therefore he takes his portion first, he gets a cut. That's exactly what I mentioned several times today. The one who leaks the stuff, the one who moves the merchandise to the syndicate gets a cut and maybe even gets the first cut, right? Takes his per- portion first. This is no contradiction to our thesis, for eventually that flow to the sinner will be terminated. In other words, it's not sustainable. And this is what I've been trying to share with you today, that yes, yes, for, for the short term, it works. For the short term, it's exciting. For the short term, it's energizing. For the short term, it can feel satisfying. It can feel like, yes, I'm, I'm doing what I need to be doing or this is it. But in the long term, At some point, that's going to end. And when that ends, then what do we have? We don't have this and we don't have that. We don't have either. So rather, instead of misappropriating the energy, keep it where it's supposed to be. Invest where we're supposed to invest. Fill those spaces with light and life force and meaning. All right. So that's it for chapter... what was this? Chapter three, I want to say. Yeah, chapter three of discourse number six. Next week, we are going to begin. I'm sorry for all the scrolling. Discourse seven. That's next week. Don't forget, you can order a book if you'd like. I should probably give you the publisher's website. It's kahot.com. K-E-H-O-T dot com. K-E-H-O-T dot com. And it should be, I think I saw it on the, on the homepage, on the front page over there. It's called Overcoming Folly. So this, the theme of this book, the theme of this work is reflected beautifully in today's conversation.
It's all about overcoming folly. Overcoming folly means how do we stop ourselves from the excuses and the mental gymnastics that we do to convince ourselves that we'll be okay, right? It's like, I'll, do, I'll, I'll be okay, it's fine, I'll do this, I'll be fine. How do we get ourselves past that? How do we get ourselves to stop that? And what he's explaining here is really the mechanics of the universe as a tool for understanding and trying to stop ourselves from heading down that negative path. And he's saying that the mechanics of the universe are, are such that life, life from above flows, has an intended target, is intending to flow, like our heating and air conditioning, like you know, all the examples we gave before, there's an intended destination. We have the power, free choice, to misdirect, to redirect, to misappropriate the energy or the life force to a dark place, to another place, to a different place. And in that process, we're not instantly zapped. We're not instantly cut off from, from life. It's not like we unplug the appliance and now it's dead. It's not how it works with human beings. Why not? Because that side also has energy. And fueling that side with the other side with energy, the dark side, allows us to note the barosh. We can take the first cut from there. And so a person can convince themselves that they're okay. Look, I'm doing all sorts of things. I'm still here. I'm still okay. I'm happy. I feel okay. And his point is, yeah, but that's two, two problems with this. Number one, that's very short-term thinking. And number two, even in the short term, where are you getting from? Where are you getting the energy from? From the dark side? From that which is the shadow spaces of reality? Why wouldn't you want to get from, from directly from the source, from the light spaces? Why go, why go to the dark side when you can, I don't know, stay with the force, something like that, right? Why, why go there if you can stay here? So again, there's two things to consider. Oh, Donna, thank you. Is that, thank you for, uh, for sharing the, the direct link in the chat um, for the book. So again, th this, th there's two points here. Number one, even while the person is still, you know, is still okay, still feels okay, they're getting from the hinder part of, of, of creation. They're getting from the dark side. They're getting from Klippa and Sitra That's where you want to get it from, right? And number two, it's not sustainable. So it's a very short-term way of thinking. And again, all of this is, these are all ideas and meditations to have in our heads so that the next time we're faced with a choice, we have hopefully another framework of thinking about the choices that are in front of us because we're all faced with choices all the time, multiple times a day. You know, maybe not like life and death questions, but we have moral questions and ethical questions and spiritual questions and Jewish questions that come up and questions that, you know, choices that, 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 um, that test us. And in those moments, we could either say, I'll be okay, or even if I am okay, would I really be okay, right? Do I really want this for myself? Is this who I want to be? Is this where I want to go? Is this what I want to do? Is... And it's not sustainable. So hopefully with these meditations in mind, we're able to make healthier decisions. We can apply this. We could have, a, we could have classes about this on relationships. We could have classes on time management about this. We could have classes on Jewish spirituality. We, you know, Torah mitzvot. We you could take this core concept and apply it to so many different areas. I try to stay as broad or universal as possible so that we could all apply it on our own 
And really that's the point. The point is that when we're faced with a choice, let us remember that we could either stay plugged into the light or start doing all these gymnastics to take the light and move it to the place of darkness and then to plug into the darkness and get the light from there. And... But why do that? <laughs> why do that if we have a direct connection to the source? All right, thank you for joining me today. So may this week be a week of good choices and positive, willful, dynamic, light-filled connections. Thank you for joining and I want to wish everybody good health and happiness and only blessings. A few quick announcements that are very important. Um, you know, maybe just, just to focus just quickly on the Kabbalah class we just did. I always try to strike the balance between speaking on a, on a practical level, like stuff that we can take, but also kind of, you know, showing a little bit of the of the, of the wisdom of Kabbalah and like to get us a little bit also like expand our mind. So hopefully it hit both fronts where we have like some new ideas to think about like on a cosmic level, but also some practical, you know, stuff to think about as we, as we go through our week. So hopefully that, uh, that's that. Next week, we're going to continue this conversation and expand it and get even deeper into this idea of cosmic energy and misdirected energy. That was the title of today's class, misdirected uh, or misdirecting, misdirected energy, one of those two. It's about taking energy to where it shouldn't go and, and the ramifications. Um, okay, a few quick announcements. Number one, tonight at 8 o'clock, we are having um, our second ever Jewish Summer Cinema. If you want to check out a movie tonight, movie night, it's gorgeous weather right now. I hope, it's, uh, I, um, I hope it stays like this right, um, today. I think it will. So tonight we're having a film on our huge new outdoor, 18-foot outdoor screen outside Chabad, right by the Beltline. Join us for great Israeli food and a great Israeli film. It's called The Women's Balcony. It's a, it's a great film. Um, and we're having falafel and pita and, you know, kind of that style food. So join us for that film, 8 p.m. tonight. Next announcement, I just... We just sent out an email, I want to say Friday maybe. We have a, uh, a young man who grew up in Cairo, in Egypt. He's, he grew up Muslim, and he was taught as a young boy to not look favorably at Jews. But as a young adult in his late teens, you know, 18, 19 years old, he started exploring a little bit. He taught himself Hebrew, learned Hebrew, and began exploring a little bit for himself, and he discovered another side of Judaism and Jews. And today he is an advocate for human rights and peace. And he's going to talk about his journey from intolerance to tolerance, from hate to love. A very powerful message, um, a very personal story. So join us on June 20th. It's a Sunday, Sunday, June 20th at 7 p.m. It's going to be a Zoom event. So join me for the program entitled Escape from Cairo. Talks about his personal journey, moving from hate to a place of, of, uh, of, of, of love, essentially. So that is that. And then we have also other items coming up, which, I'm, which I cannot remember. Go to the website, intimejewishacademy.org, to check out all the latest and greatest stuff. All right, that's enough announcements. Thank you for joining today. I hope to see you guys soon. Have a wonderful week. Stay healthy, stay happy, and happy 
holiday. Take care, everybody. Enjoy.